In the lush heartland, rivers meander through the valleys, gathering momentum as they travel. Each river, brook, and stream has its unique course converging and diverging, but all with a common goal, to reach the ocean. Much like these waterways, the marketplace is rife with currents of demand, each representing a unique need, a desire, a problem looking for a solution. And while the Earth's terrain affects the river's courses, there are innovative ways like dams, pipes, and channels designed to capture and direct these natural flows, ensuring that not a single drop is wasted or left unchecked. In our digital age, especially in the realm of B2B SaaS, these streams of demand have transformed into complex networks, representing various stages and interactions. It's here that the metaphor takes form in the concept of the demand waterfall. This system serves as the irrigation blueprint, ensuring every drop of potential interest finds its rightful place, transforming mere interest into tangible results. Enter Sydney Waterfall. Beyond the serendipity of her name, Sydney stands as a master architect of these waterways. She's mapped the tributaries, gauged the depths, and understands how to direct the flow seamlessly. She's the guide you seek when navigating the currents of the SaaS world. And yes, she has heard all of the waterfall-based puns. Join us as we set sail with Sydney, exploring the many tributaries of the demand waterfall understanding the common challenges faced by businesses, and discovering strategies to ensure that every drop of demand is captured and channeled effectively. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. I'm Ben Hillman, and on today's episode, Sydney Waterfall speaks with Paddle's Andrew Davies about the demand waterfall. They talk about tracking macro versus micro data points, the importance of conversion sources, technical versus marketing perspectives, the demand waterfall, and effective go-to-market strategies. After you finish the episode, check out the show notes for a field guide from today's episode. Then, while you're leaving your five-star review of the podcast, tell us what resonated most about our guest's advice. Sydney, well, it's great to have you on Protect the Hustle. Perhaps you can just introduce yourself to our audience, a bit about yourself and a bit about your role and where you work. Thank you for having me. My name is Sydney Waterfall. I'm SVP of Growth at Refine Labs. And Refine Labs is a account-based and demand gen marketing firm where we specifically work with B2B companies. We help companies kind of create and deploy demand creation strategies to accelerate their growth engine. That's kind of what we're known for. We really help companies transition from lead gen to demand gen, but more recently helping companies transition from siloed departments to integrated revenue teams. That's kind of what we do here. And my role is internal marketing, essentially, for our brand. I started out on the client side with Refine Labs and worked with a lot of our clients, managed a lot of our clients, and then switched over. And a lot of my background is in B2B SaaS. I'm a B2B SaaS tech girl. Let's dive right in. So one of the things Refinement Labs is known for is preaching the gospel around the shift from lead gen to demand gen. Why don't you just unpack that a little bit for our audience? And then we'll go a little bit deeper on that before talking about the latest shift that you're championing for your clients. Kind of shifting the mindset of how buyers buy today and understanding how buyers want to buy today. They want to reduce friction. They want to consume. We call it like the dark social era. So the... Shift in buying really has been accelerated by the internet and what we call like the dark social era, which is people wanting to consume content, read content, get educated about a product, and then buy when they're ready. So that's really accelerating the lead gen to demand gen shift. 
with that, you have to change your marketing strategy to accommodate for that. Distribute content, distribute information for people to consume to get them to be high intent or what we call declared intent buyers to sign up for your product or sign up to talk to a sales rep. So that's really kind of what we mean by the lead gen to demand gen movement. So instead of you know getting a whole bunch of people at the top of this uh, imaginary funnel that we all draw on our whiteboards and then pushing through lots of gates to get down to the bottom, it's about making sure that you are you know educating people throughout the entire journey. And then as they hand raise, as they come with high intent, you know they're going to convert much faster rather than having to go through four or five different gates that you've kind of manufactured in front of them. Is that fair? So why did we get to that situation where we were manufacturing these artificial funnels and pushing people through multiple gates first? I think it comes to before, even we had the internet, but pre-mass internet, people used to consume and get information from trade shows, from sales reps, and that was how they consumed. Field sales was a lot bigger. In some industries, it's still pretty big, right? But the acceleration of access to your peers, access to information that's not getting pushed out through a company's website, I think really accelerated this movement. And we've analyzed a ton of companies. We've found that low intent, gated content, lead nurturing, that kind of strategy is a very ineffective lead to win rate when that's your focus. And that's what you're measured on. So that's what you're going to do. If you switch to the mindset, switch the measurement to drive for consumption of your content and education of your product and services in dark social, you'll actually drive a much higher declared intent conversions. And those have much higher win rates, obviously. That was the shift that you were kind of preaching over the last few years. And now we're talking about this this move towards an integrated revenue team. So now update me on your latest thinking here and the research that's backed it up and, and how you're walking your clients through this latest shift. You're going to run multiple different go-to-market engines. We call them pipeline sources. We really wanted to help customers transform from siloed departments to more of an integrated revenue team working together to not just work in silos and pass things off, but really think about demand creation as a whole. Sales can create demand, marketing create demand, partner can create demand. A lot of things can create demand, your events, your media brand, all of these things. By looking at it a little bit more holistically and kind of a quote unquote all bound approach, a lot of people are familiar with that term. That's really helping us change the customer's mindset of how to go about this strategy. So quick summary is old way is like kind of the assembly line, right? Lead gen starts with internal departments. It's really not focused on the customer. New way, kind of this all bound revenue team approach where we're actually starting with how the customer engages and not department focus. So how did we create demand? How are we creating demand with programs that we're running? What programs and strategies do we have in place to capture demand? And what are we doing for demand conversion? Having all teams operate under those strategies and not just just say, you know, marketing, you're supposed to do brand awareness and create demand and sales is doing everything for capture and conversion. Everything should be working together, which is kind of where we're transitioning to. And the reason a lot of companies are trying to run ABM or ABX kind of experiences, but they're still siloed in these marketing does this, sales does this, and these campaigns run this way, where we're kind of taking this approach to combining ABM into pipeline sources for an all-bound approach. Why would companies ever design an organization why, when they're not working together in order to kind of serve the customer needs? The intent is that they always want to design stuff to work together, but that's not really the reality in most organizations. Or there's friction at certain points. I think a lot of it goes back to measurement 
and how these teams are KPI'd in gold, right? And how they're incentivized. When that's not an, aligned by cross departments, you're going to run into that friction point. I think measurement plays a big part of like how to actually drive the alignment with this, which is why we are recommending kind of to look at how the customer came inbound and how the customer engaged and how the customer did X, Y, and Z, not what department did what to get the customer to do X, Y, or Z. How are you effectively comping different departments in a way that gets them to behave in, in this new all-bound method? We're still working with different organizations and helping them through. From like a marketing perspective, when we are looking at like marketing investments and how to understand if your marketing is working and what's working and what's not, we recommend that you look at all marketing spend through across a standardized pipeline and revenue metric across all of your sources, of all of your pipeline sources. So one of the big things that we find is when you don't standardize that pipeline metric, it could lead to something that we're kind of calling pipeline inflation. Standardize that and measure all teams across the standardized measurement. So we'll take marketing spend, for example, look at it across all standardized, what we call high intent revenue opportunity, hero pipeline across all of your sources. And that's how we can really understand like how is the investments making. Team KPIs and team measurements is really going to come down to like what programs and responsibilities are they driving towards in what channels. So that makes total sense to me because you have this bad behavior in many, in many organizations where marketing leaders go and you know, buy some cheap leads to inflate their MQL number or do a quick content distribution or content syndication play in order to hit end of quarter. So that makes sense to kind of unify around something that is agreed and aligned more closely with revenue. I'm still interested in how different departments can be motivated to work in the way you described at the top around partner sales and marketing all being responsible for creation and all being responsible for you know demand capture are there any other examples you've got of how you particularly maybe motivate sales teams to be involved in different stages of the funnel than they've been used to the journey's not linear and so the more people can understand that like when outbound or you know ABM intent driven outbound and sales reps are out there trying to capture some of that intent they can also create intent and they can also create demand through stuff that they're doing on LinkedIn or whatever channels that their customers are at or events is a very common one. They can create demand and create opportunities in a different way through events. And maybe that buyer comes inbound through a different source, but they mention, you know, I heard about you on LinkedIn or I heard about you on this thing over here. It's just really not about fighting for credit. The biggest thing that we've seen that has worked is if you're running a very smooth, like ABM intent driven outbound motion. Ideally, your reps should be reaching out to those buyers before they even convert on your website. And marketing maybe would go, oh, well, you know, but we did this and like, yeah, but outbound got them first. And it, like, it's not about that anymore. It's like, hey, they came in through ABM intent triggered outbound, but they also engaged through all this stuff and vice versa. So it's more of like that team approach. But that's the biggest signal that we've seen of companies executing this well is that their sales team is actually able to drive more efficient, quote unquote, what we call ABM intent triggered outbound by doing this well and partnering together. A lot of your work is with organizations in the process of scaling where they're going on one of these shifts. Let's go from a clean slate now and talk to the audience members here who are yet to build or just about to build their go-to-market structures. And maybe they've got an MVP, they've got a bunch of free users and now want to build, whether it's PLG or whether it's outbound, as a go-to-market on top of this. What is, what's your advice based on all you know about fixing 
these engines when they're at a greater degree of scale, what that you would put in place from the very beginning? What would be your first hires? How would you be structuring that org? My advice is to don't underestimate the reporting and the metrics that you are going to set yourself up for success. Like pick the right metrics to measure and figure out how to track, first of all, and then measure those. I've seen a lot of companies get a couple months in or even a year in of like investing in marketing and sales, and they still can't really report on the things that they want to. That would be just like, I'm a marketing kind of ops, sales ops lady. So that's just like, I have to say that disclaimer. The first thing that I would recommend is to work on your capturing demand strategy. If you don't have your website optimized and capture demand intent channels to already capture what's out there, no point in creating demand yet or thinking about awareness strategies. So start there. And if there is no demand to capture, then great. You know, make sure your website can clearly communicate uh, what you do, the benefits, you know, kind of product marketing basics. That's where I would always start is more with product marketing. Then find and optimize your conversion path for demand conversion, whether that's through your product or not through your product or have multiple conversion points. Then I would start investing in like, how are we going to think about creating demand outside of existing things that we're doing? And that's really more when it comes to how can we leverage our subject matter experts? How can we start creating content and distributing content in a consumable way? That's really what I recommend. I'm actually, I've recently just worked with a super, super small company consulting with them. And, you know, they've got like 10 customers and they're like, what's the ideal conversion path? Like, what do we do? And I'm like, we what? that's the perfect place to start. Let's start with like building your website for the ideal conversion path into your product and how we want them to engage in your product and how we want Want them to talk to someone when they're ready or just pay and convert. So that's where I definitely start if you're just getting out of the gates with a couple of customers. One thing that's super interesting about your role evolution and what Refine Labs are doing is that you've added on the vault, which I know you're responsible for the go to market on. We see in our data and we see, you know, 34,000 different subscription businesses, financial data, that companies that have multiple different products, they grow much faster than those that don't. And so you've got multiple products, you've also got multiple price points. There might be different personas you're selling to. One is kind of maybe a, a retainer, but it's a it's a consulting product, um, you know, your your made agency. And now you've got this perhaps lower price more repeatable archive and repository, which has a bunch of other things on it. So why don't you describe for, for the audience what The Vault is, um, how it came about, and then let's dig into the different go-to-market that you're having to adopt in order to take take it to market and grow revenue. Refine Labs, as you mentioned, started out as a service company, and the biggest part of our business is what we call the lab. It's our full-service consulting and agency. And the vision was always to work with customers, generate insights across not just one or two customers, but a group, a large data set or large for us data set, not quite data like you have, but a decent data set to then inform what other products or services or software could we potentially build to help the market at scale. That's always been the intent of the company when Chris founded it. We actually kind of have two products. I'll just tell you the vault came to be. So we help a lot of companies with this transitioning their go-to-market strategy, transitioning from lead gen to demand gen to now this all-band approach. And not everyone can 
afford us, right? We are a higher priced item and we are exclusive to, for a reason. We thought, okay, well, we want to be able to help a lot of different companies in this space in a different way at a much different price point. And so that's kind of how the vault came to be and the vault idea is that we generate non-obvious insights kind of at scale and we learn at scale faster than just you know, one company learning at a time. And so how do we document that, create playbooks, create insights and publish that in a way that is helpful to organizations where they could do their transformation and help their journey around their marketing and demand strategy. So that's really how the vault came about to be. So I'm going to pause there. But Before we move on, can you just quickly help me understand how much of this was seen as a way to serve customers that you couldn't serve with your higher priced agency offering and how much it's seen as a introductory offer for companies that will then go on and buy your higher priced agency offering? Or is there other, some other strategy that I'm not seeing here? We would say originally it's how could we service and get more people to adopt our mindset and our philosophies at scale that we would probably never hire us. We want to be able to, our mission is kind of to transform how B2B companies do marketing. And with our service arm, that's going to be limited to a very specific segment and a very specific type of customer as well. We are a little bit more niche in our targeting and our go-to-market with our lab. And we wanted to be able to expand that. We want to be able to publish larger data samples and things like that inside the vault and have our vault members also participating in our experiments and some of our research that way as well. So that was the original intent. Yeah. Let's dive in then to how this go-to-market differs from what you've been doing previously of taking Refine Labs to market. Obviously, our CEO, Chris Walker, has a huge personal brand, has really built the company on his personal brand. And now that we built a product and we're thinking about the go-to-market, we're also thinking of how could we get people to understand what this product is, to look at it, to feel it, and ultimately convert. Really for us, it was we're adding a kind of a product-ish led approach to our service business, which is a very interesting thing and we've never done before. So we were figuring that out. Like our ideal customer for our Vault's product is definitely still marketing and sales teams, primarily marketing, but we're adding a lot more resources around sales and market leaders and really going after smaller companies that couldn't hire us or also on the opposite end, larger teams that already have people that can do the execution work that wouldn't hire us to do execution work at all. And we wanted to be a resource for both of those types of customers. So essentially, we've designed the product to support people to take them on a journey, which we do in services. We kind of take them through step-by-step modules and processes and frameworks to accelerate this, we've built that inside of the vault so people can kind of self-serve. When we think about going to market with it and who we're trying to market, it's very much our similar ICP. I would say it's just wider of the company maturity is going to be wider. The stage of the company is going to be wider as well. Maybe can you dig into some of the tactic changes that you've had to go through in order to reach those customers? So yes, you've got 
you know, Chris and all of your team's wider audience and followership? Is it just reliant on that and you're just reaping the inbound that comes for it or is there anything else that's going on here? In the beginning, we probably were just reaping the inbound, but now <laughs> we're heavily reliant on our brand. But now we're really trying to focus on engaging people who we believe are our fit and getting feedback and then having that fuel our go-to-market. So originally, for example, we launched the product as teams only and we wanted to accelerate people in the product and to learn more. So we opened it up where individuals can actually get access to it and kind of scaling out, testing different pricing and packaging has been kind of the original focus. And now we're really leaning into trying new channels and introducing this product to someone who doesn't know who Refine Labs is or doesn't isn't a loyal follower who understands our methodology and our point of view of marketing. Because if you don't understand that, the vault's not going to be valuable to you. You're going to get in there and like, I don't believe what this is or this is framework doesn't fit for me. Our focus now has been to use, we're just now starting to experiment with paid media. We've never really run paid media for our brand ever. Also different partnerships or um, co-marketing with other companies that can help us get into people who are already not following us. We already have targeted account lists that we're going after to get these people in front and then kind of enrolled in our content streams, enrolled in the vault content path, things like that. So those are kind of the shifts that we've been making and experimenting of how do we communicate the value of the vault with someone that has no idea with what Refine Labs is. And how's it been going? Like, what are the results you can point to? I would say it's going really well. We have a lot of Teams customers and some individuals as well. And then we also, one of the things that we did to experiment and grow faster is to, we opened up a free version of the product, which anyone can log into. You can kind of get a sampling of what this is and you can see what's in there and you can convert. We have over 3,500 total users. That's all of our users combined. Our conversion, you know, is not exactly where we'd like, but for starting out, our conversion is around 5%, which is, we obviously want that a little higher, but pretty happy with for right now. If we're, we're in the starting phases. You know, if we roll forwards 12 months, what, are, what does the vault look like and how does it sit alongside, you know, your labs offering? Um, does this start to rival it for revenue? Has this become a main focus of the business? I think it complements our business. We have, are heavily going to be investing in product as well as our service business. So there'll be a lot of updates coming to the vault. Right now, it is kind of our content and insights and learning kind of do it yourself. If you want to do what Refine Labs does, you can do it yourself in the vault. In the future, we're building and figuring out how we can integrate analytics and data into the vault for companies so that we can provide them much more guidance of what to do, when to do it, what we would recommend and why actually based on their data. So that's kind of where we're going with the vaults is to kind of integrate that into their actual business. And are there other products that you are now kind of thinking through internally as something that go alongside or, or build out of the vault? Yeah, we actually have another product. It's a Salesforce application we built and it's really for standardizing your measurement and just operationalizing your funnel tracking and measurement. That's another huge problem that a lot of our customers have. So it's called Watchtower. You know, it's very, very early stages right now. It's just a Salesforce app that we're um, continuing to work through and model and test and get feedback with a lot of our customers. That's another one of the products that you'll probably see, you know, 
come together at some point. So if I can play back to you a couple of thoughts on on that strategy, just for you to kind of clarify where I'm getting this wrong. What I think is really interesting here, as a learning for everyone who's listening to this podcast, is that you've taken what was uh, a really interesting initial anchor product. So in this case, it wasn't a product, it was a service, where you had what some people would call account gravity. So you had this sense of probably a senior level buyer who, you know, CMO or VP of marketing or more senior if it's a smaller business buying your services. And on top of that now, you're adding, you know, other products that either precede that in their purchase because of the maturity of the business and what they can spend or because it's part of their learning about you. And then you have something also that perhaps goes alongside or after the consulting proposition in terms of the Salesforce app that then enables you to productize some of the advice you're giving in, standard, in, in terms of standardizing people's pipeline. And then, you know, on top of all of that, you've got a wider circle, which is all of the content you're creating, the community you've got, the podcast, et cetera, et cetera. So what I see here is a really interesting picture developing where you've got these concentric circles of bringing people towards this central point of value that Refine Labs delivers. And everything is faithful to the core philosophy of Refine Labs, which I think is really interesting. So for me, there's like, uh, and I want to stress test with you rather than just assuming it, I think I think there's a couple of things here. Firstly, you're being quite aggressive on building new propositions that you can monetize around a similar type of customer. We see that correlate with, with faster growth, absolutely. Secondly, everything is pretty consistent, not necessarily in its business model or its way of going to market or its way of being consumed, but it's very consistent in the philosophy, the differentiated point of view that it's supporting. And then thirdly, they are each of those different propositions can be you know purchased or used by a different persona with a different level of ease at a different level of cost there's something for various people within that buying group of champions so are those things generally true is that something that you went into this process of evolution at Refine Labs thinking about, or is that something that's kind of come out of the smart thinking that you've been going through? I think it was an idea or a seed, and I think it's just blossomed into this. Chris definitely had a vision of creating multiple products or multiple service business units within the Refine Labs brand, for sure. The one thing that holds true is it comes back to our mission. We want to change and redefine how B2B companies do marketing and generate revenue. There's a bunch of different ways that that can come to fruition, some of which we're testing and experimenting with and building products and services and teams around. But ultimately, at the end of the day, you refine Lab's brand. We really believe in a certain philosophy and methodology that you would like subscribe to and you also believe in and would want to deploy and follow. That's the core of everything that we will do, whether it's a software product, it's a content product, it's a service-based product. That is the core at what we do. The fun thing that I really enjoy working with Refine Labs in here is we're really trying to like elevate revenue and, and create more of a scientific approach to how we figure these things out and rapidly iterate. We don't want to launch a framework and not test it and not change it and update it and constantly move it. And we want to do that with people who believe the same philosophies and foundations that we believe, if that makes sense. I think one of the most powerful methods of differentiation is a differentiated point of view. And if you can establish that and then see that consistently across all of your touch points, it really does add, I think, resonance to every interaction. Totally get how and why you're doing that. Let's pivot completely then. I know uh, you described yourself as a bit of an ops geek and an ops girl. I would love just to quickly stop on that point before we finish off. I think for many scaling software businesses, marketing ops, sales ops, revenue ops, whatever you want to call it, is something I find business leaders are embarrassed about. They think that everyone else has got it fixed and they know theirs isn't fixed. And I'd love you just to speak into that from a couple of perspectives. For 
firstly, how you see kind of what, what good it looks like and what bad looks like across your client bases and the clients you work with, and how companies, as they scale, can make sure they invest ahead of those problems, those those moments of chaos, uh, in order to not have those crises when they come. So let's do in uh, our listeners and on a little secret. Everybody has operational problems. It just depends on how big or small that they are. At almost every instance we look at or everything that we get access to, there's always room for improvement. However, some are a lot messier than others. And normally that becomes a large issue when growth is happening and things are going well and you're just going, 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 and you don't stop and take the time to put like foundational basic processes in place or update your existing basic processes to maybe a more advanced process. You're not alone. The biggest things that we see with our customers and I just see generally in the market is people over indexing on trying to track the micro processes and the micro things and missing the macro data or the macro data points that actually leaders and CEOs and CMOs and CROs need to understand what's working or what's not. And that you can miss that type of stuff in the product. You can miss that type of stuff in your CRM and your website. I My advice is to always kind of look at the macro things that you want to track is pipeline going up is this being able to just track your general conversion sources at the highest level so many people miss that they're tracking conversion sources for example at like the channel or the tactic level and then they're just in this channel and tactic conundrum and trying to figure out what's working and what's not and they miss the macro level of what is called like a pipeline source or a product source or conversion source that's my biggest thing that we see missed in the most complex and the most 50 million 100 million dollar businesses so our audience of go-to-market leaders and SaaS founders, probably bias is a little bit technical, as in often it'll be a technical co-founder that we that we would find on one of these. They want to find out about go-to-market things. So do you find that within your base of Vault or is it often kind of someone who's got a marketing job title? Uh, no, we actually have a decent amount of founders. Founders who are do, still doing founder-led sales and founder-led go-to-market, I would say. They are looking at the best way to kind of scale and create demand and things like that. So that's also what a lot of our Vault resources or a lot of our podcast episodes and a lot of people follow a lot of our events and those people would never buy from us, at least not now. Like, you know, they we tailor to more mature organizations, right, that have like marketing leaders, marketing teams. They already have product market fit. They have a general sales flow that's kind of already working and then just need to scale. That's really when they would bring on the lab. But that's one of the reasons if you want to learn about how to create certain things, content strategy, how to do some of this stuff to try yourself, that's kind of where the vault could come in for a lot of our customers. Obviously, clear call to action for anyone listening here that's uh, coming from a non-marketing go-to-market leader background. Good place to find out frameworks, definitions, etc. Sydney, silly one, given serious decisions and their constant preaching of the demand waterfall, how many jokes a day do you get about your surname and the fact you're a demand leader with waterfall in your name? Quite a bit. I also get the don't go chasing waterfalls if the, the TLC song, but um, I actually have a funny story about that. It's my married name. It's not my maiden name. And so when I changed my name, I was working as a marketing campaign manager. I started writing for our blog at the time. And my VP of marketing thought it was a fake 
name, like a pen name, because I was nervous about my first blog post and I didn't want to put my real name on it. And he thought I just made it up because I was in marketing and the serious decisions uh, waterfall. I legitimately had to show him my new driver's license. He was like not convinced. That's like my famous like waterfall story. And I'll never forget that VP because he's I mean, he was amazing to work for, but that was just like his personality in a nutshell. Fair enough. Well, when you write the next blog post, you're uh, slightly embarrassed about it. You'll have to call yourself Sydney Funnel and we'll see what we get to with that one. Maybe Dark Funnel. Who knows? <laughs> awesome. Well, Sydney, I think we've gone through a whole bunch there. Um, before we end, you know our audience. You've got visibility and pattern recognition into hundreds of different businesses that are going through scaling challenges. You know, as we, we go into 2023, everyone's talking about AI. Everyone's talking about the transformational shift. Everyone's talking about efficient growth because of the market crash. With all of that context that we don't need to dig into yet again, you know, what are the things that you find yourself advising go-to-market leaders again and again that everyone on this call should be writing down and making sure they start out with when they start work tomorrow? Focus and execute well in like one to two things before you try to do five things. A lot of times we actually take down the number of channels and tactics and even platforms people are on and then we pick one or two and we go hard and execute there and prove it out. Also, it's a lot easier to measure and prove your success when you're doing one or two things. It's hard to do one or two things well. It's easier to do a lot of chaos and just like hope it works. <laughs> so that was like the ultimate thing that we over and over kind of go back to the basics. And then in terms of like AI and stuff, I think that there's a lot of things that you could do very manual tasks. How do you automate mindless work? And that's kind of what we've been leaning into internally at Refine Labs. How do we get more efficient with our headcount? Shout out to Sydney for being on the show. Today, we talked about tracking macro versus micro data points, the importance of conversion sources, technical versus marketing perspectives, the demand waterfall, and effective go-to-market strategies. Make sure to give Protect the Hustle a five-star review and tell us what lesson from today's episode was your favorite. Thanks for listening. Subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Studios, dedicated to helping you build better SaaS. 